There was reference uh, during the sermon last week to Johann stealing the first mover advantage on the rebuilding of the wall by Nehemiah. It's true. And there was some truth in that. So I'll be speaking for a short time this morning because I'm going to speak about the wall rebuilding in Nehemiah also. And I just wondered whether that was what God wanted. But just for all the words and the prayers, everything said this morning, I think it is. I believe it is. Everything has um, just lined up as God does it because he is remarkable. It's good to repeat and reflect. Um, it reminded me of our equip, uh, was it last year? Time goes so quickly. Uh, when uh, Leo spoke, remember he visited us from the, I think it's the Glorious Gospel Church, is what they're called, yeah, in Sydney. That's a great name. And um, he's actually, they've just bought their building, actually, big story. And he was using reference after reference about Jesus from his word. And I became nervous uh, because. You know, you're an elder in the church, and uh, I wondered when he was going to get to his next point. Till I realised he wasn't going to stop, stop talking about how remarkable Jesus was. And he went on and on. And just one beautiful aspect after another. And I just came to a point of peace. Because I knew what he was about, who he was speaking about, how important it was. And it just aligned with everything we believe as a church. We'll never grow tired about speaking about Jesus. Actually, when I um, tell people about Jesus, I said, you'll be comfortable there as long as you don't mind that we never stop talking about him. Uh, we, won't, uh, we won't sort of, you know, the focus won't change. We'll sing about him. We'll talk about him as the great king, lord and saviour. And that's where we stay. We talk about a lot of other aspects about Christian life, but we always come back to that. He is sovereign. He is king. Just as we sang in those uh, songs this morning, in the worship. So let's talk about Nehemiah again, starting with a recap from last week. I thought that Johan's message was excellent, so I thought I'd re-preach it. But Johan exhorted us to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us which leads to repentance and later obedience, a turning around Hang on. and obeying the voice of God, aligning with his purpose for our lives. And the point was made that there is purpose in undergoing the process of changing our heart. As purpose is birthed in conviction and repentance, this keeps our focus on the one who calls us, not the calling itself. And aligns us with what he is building. He wants us to build with him, but in his way. And we read from John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. I should say that I usually prepare about six pages uh, for my messages, but... It was short, so I just moved it to 16 font. <laughs> so I still have six pages. Don't try to discover your purpose without a process to come into alignment with him. That is great. Have a listen if you missed the message from last week. And then I thought, have a listen to lots of messages there. What a back book we've got of um, teaching and sermons 
I don't know if everyone realises it's all online from when we really started. Just you know, so much wealth and inspiration by the Holy Spirit that we can tap into. But I want to start by looking at the words of the Apostle Paul before we resume in Nehemiah. Second Timothy 3.12, very short verse. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So that's where I thought I'd leave it today. <laughs> Be encouraged. Paul is saying, whatever, whenever you make a determination, uh, make a decision in your heart to obey God, that you're going to live in such a way as to bring glory to the name of Jesus, you can expect opposition. You can expect hardship. You can expect struggles every time. That's what Paul is saying. And as we read the stories of Paul's life in the New Testament, boy, didn't he. That was his life. Uh, constant hardship. A story about... Um, and it just reminded me a, a bit about Paul when I saw a... I saw one of those shows on Netflix and it, it really captured, I think, the essence of Paul really well. And he was, you know, just the calling of his life. They portrayed him as really slightly annoying. The other disciples, he actually annoyed. You can remember his background, so they were fearful of him. But then when he was a zealot, he was you know, sold out um, for Christ. And so that is why he, uh, he encountered so much hardship and persecution. Because he just had that one message. The same as Leo brought that one message. He had the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and he never wavered from it. And so he copped a lot. And yet, in Philippians 3, 8 to 10, I'm just going to use the New Living Testament for this. He says, yes, everything else is worthless. This is, you know, when he's been on the journey for a long time. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus, Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it as garbage. It says in another translation, counting it as dung. It was really emotive uh, language. It was saying it was rubbish. So that I could gain Christ. And become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. What a, what, just what a statement. Um, Paul, after experiencing all that, says it just doesn't matter. He matters. And I count everything a loss except for this pearl of great prize. Knowing him, walking in his footsteps. So this opposition is what we see played, played out in these two chapters of Nehemiah 3 and 4. I was thinking to myself, I cry through every sermon. Why wouldn't I bring up a hanky one time? Um, <laughs> Anyway, that's just an observation. When have I ever got up here and held it together? 
I can't remember. Can you, Barb, remember? No, for the opposition to be raised, the work must begin. If you've never experienced opposition, your work may not have begun. If you've never experienced opposition, your work may not have begun. But if the determination of your life has become, I'm going to be obedient to God, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, then it's inevitable, according to God's word, that you will experience persecution. Chapter, in chapter 3 of Nehemiah, it's all about getting started. It's an exercise. Thank you. Uh, yes. That, that actually was a call for a teacher. It's an exercise um, in Hebrew name pronunciation. So I thought we'd all have a bit of a go, of it, uh, go at it, and I thought we could read around the auditorium, each person take a verse, and no, we're not turning up the lights, so we'll start now with roll. <laughs> no, that's a joke. It says in Nehemiah 3, 1 to 5, and I'm going to have a, a read the first verses, and you'll just have to experience my pronunciations. Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams, put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakos, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshalem, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Barna, also made repairs. Or Mana. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. <laughs> They're right off the nobles. <laughs> but the high priest was there. It's a list of the people who responded to Nehemiah's leadership to begin rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. The high priest is depicted rising with the other priests to help build the sheep gate. Men of Jericho are built next to them. Zachor, and it goes on. Zadok, a group effort, many individuals. There was a plan. Specific groups took specific sections of the wall. They were obedient to what they were called to do. Instead of looking at the entire project, and being overwhelmed, they looked at this section that they were provided with. There was rubble that needed to be cleared and new huge stones brought in. No tractors, manual labour, lots of blood, sweat and tears. So next to one group, there was them and them and then. No and them. Um, that's a very clever joke. I was impressed to learn from Johan that the wall was 2.4 kilometres long in length. So two metres wide, three to eight metres high, and 40 groups of different skill sets were used. No evidence of skilled tradesmen. A beautiful example of people following the call of God. A priesthood of all believers working together. What God wants to show us in this passage is that the Jewish people step out in obedience to what they've been called to do and they work together in teams, faithful in completing what God has assigned to them. I thought, as Darlene brought a word this morning, it was basically the message in a couple of sentences. That's how God works. 
What's the application for us? When God calls you to do something for him, don't leave the work assigned to you with someone with more ability. No, it's been assigned to you. I remember a number of years, oh, many years ago actually, it was uh, when I was visiting back from Western Australia, I went to a service and a senior pastor was speaking about some aspect of his life and I got this word from the Holy Spirit that I shared with him afterwards. I said, the Holy Spirit said to me while you were speaking today that you've got to stop looking for the next senior pastor. It's you. It's what he's called you to do. Stay with it. It's okay. It is your calling. Don't be looking for someone better to do it. It's a singular focus on your part of the wall. With people God has placed you with. I think Yohan said a singular focus. Don't let pandemics or other distractions, distractions take your focus from your calling and your mission field. In fact, don't let anything distract you. Just a reflection for myself about this. and You may have heard me say this before. I've never woken up and felt comfortable as a CEO. I've been one since I was 36 years old at most times. But I'm mostly happy when I'm a CFO, a finance guy, and serving, uh, serving other leaders, completely comfortable in that role. And some of you would know that, that my journey into CEO of this current role was intensely difficult. I thought I'd be good today, so I'll just leave it as intensely difficult. <laughs> In fact, um, from the date of my second interview, which I didn't attend, it took a further seven weeks and five days before I turned up. Right, I'm good. But during that time, I changed. And whatever came after that, it was fine. You know, there was a, a steal that had come by God. Many of you will have walked through great trials and tribulations and experienced persecution. Well, it does change you. It's not that it hardens your heart, but it gives you a resilience in God to do all that he's called you to do. You can reflect upon that. Know how to keep going. Know how to press into him. Know that you've got to focus on prayer and worship to keep you in your place, at your post. We're called to rebuild, restore and repair all over our communities, all our communities, our cities, our world, the honour and glory due to the name of Jesus. Sadly, it's so often not the case that his name is glorified. But we can contribute to seeing the name of Jesus honoured in our world. First, we need to let God repair our lives. And we start this through obedience to what he asks us to do. Repent, forgive, restore, make that determination to follow him. 
despite the reality, as Paul says, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We can count on that because his word is true. Jesus was the city of God where God dwelt. And God had called Nehemiah and people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Thank you. This is a wonderful visual illustration of the task of the church today. We are called to rebuild and repair so that the name of Jesus may be honoured again in our society. Do you ever wonder, am I needed? Do I have anything to offer? Is what I do of any value or significance? In this third chapter of Nehemiah, we see that everyone was needed. Everyone went to work shoulder to shoulder, side by side, rebuilding, restoring, repairing. Each was given a portion of different lengths. The key is not to compare what you've been given, but simply to get on with whatever God calls you to do. God notices what you do and values what you do. Two and a half thousand years later, we sit here reading what the people of God did here in Nehemiah 3. And their names are personally listed. Just as you're a follower of Jesus, uh, and your name is listed also as a follower of Jesus in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you're a follower, um, it'll record every kindness, every generous gift, every encouragement, every act of obedience aligned to God's will for your life in that book. It's not the means of you getting to heaven, but it's recorded. I believe that. He knows what you do, your obedience. He sees every part of your life. The Jewish people were all volunteers. None of them appear to be professional builders by trade. They were business people, entrepreneurs, rulers, nobles, goldsmiths and perfume makers. Yet they were willing to offer themselves for the task of rebuilding. All ages were involved. They might have been tempted to think what they were doing did not seem very significant. Malkajar, the ruler, was asked to repair the dung gate. He did not complain that it was beneath him. He simply got on with it. But when you think about it, I'd suggest it was an incredibly important gate to rebuild. (laughs) Together, they were part of something very significant. They were rebuilding Jerusalem. They were bringing honour to God's name. And then in chapter 4, we see opposition to the rebuilding. I'm going to read from chapter 4. Just verses, first uh, couple of verses here. When Sambal had heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry, was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Negativism and mocking are a tactic Satan will use to discourage you and get you to give up. He will want you to focus on the opinion of man and to elevate its importance. Opposition and ridicule came from the outside and discouragement from within. The same was true for Jesus. His birth was not welcomed by all. Herod tried to kill him. The opposition to Jesus and his church continues from then till today. But Nehemiah in 4.7 it says, But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. 
But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. You do not need to be afraid. Through a combination of prayer and action, success is possible in Jesus. When opposition comes, respond like Nehemiah with increased prayer and increased vigilance. They prayed and posted a guard day and night. They never dropped their guard. The key is in verse 14. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your houses. With our work aligned to God's purpose, a nation can be changed. Churches can be filled. Family lives strengthened. Marriage honoured. The crime rate can fall. Society can be transformed. Most important of all, the name of Jesus can be honoured again. It says in Ephesians 6.12, as you know, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against every principality, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I was only sharing that with my daughter this week as she was unloading about abuse she'd suffered at school gates as they try to implement various things in Western Australia. They're a long way behind us. Let's not forget the words of Peter as he was preaching after the Holy Spirit had come in fire and power in the book of Acts. And many were filled. Peter says in Acts 2.40, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse or crooked generation. And in Philippians, Paul exhorts them, um, chapter 2, verse 14, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The kingdom of the world will always look crooked and perverse, ruled by Satan, but we are of the kingdom of God under the rulership of his son. A kingdom typified by love, kingdom of darkness typified by selfishness. The kingdom of God, because he loves every person, it's love, says everyone is valuable, every person is important. The kingdom of Satan has different criteria where only some are valuable. Those that benefit me. Everyone else, no value. That's how the world functions. The kingdom of God, though, in the kingdom of God, everyone has value. It's typified by unity. The kingdom of darkness reflected in Nehemiah 4 is typified by division. In God's kingdom, in Nehemiah 3, we love one another, we work together with different gifts, different callings, Different tasks, but the one kingdom purpose. The Jewish people rebuilding the wall is representative of the kingdom of God advancing. They had detractors and mockers, as were we, but we never set out on this course with God for the approval of man. They each had their allotted task God had called them to, and they were at their post day after day, week after week. And some were called to keep watch and pray intercede to seek the direction of God and pray for the safety as they worked. As you look around the state of the churches in this city, this state, this nation, let's get involved in the task of rebuilding. Let's pray for each day, uh, each other, encourage one another so we don't become weary. 
Be willing to work hard. That is not an outdated calling. And do not be put off, discouraged or diverted by opposition. Our Saviour has overcome the world. Hallelujah. He has done it. Praise him. Lord, thank you that the Lamb always wins. Your kingdom is advancing because you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. We're going to have a time of communion this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back to the stage. Just a curse to <laughs> Without a bass player, but that's fine. <laughs> but we're just going to um, sing that um, song again, All to Jesus I Surrender. I guess I'm sort of reflected about these two weeks where we've looked at Nehemiah and just focused on our, independent, our individual calling and what God's asking us to do. It just reminded me, I guess, of the way that I was brought up that if we can truly sing this song, we can move fully into the calling that God has on our life. And so as we share communion this morning... We'll start, the, you know, we'll start to sing, but then we'll come forward for communion and share the bread and the cup together so we can remind ourselves about the sacrifice of Christ for each of our lives. And gluten-free is on your left, over this side. We have the two stations either side, so you can come forward to do that. My, I guess, what I... I what I see in the Holy Spirit is there's all that opportunity, always an opportunity to be convicted again, repent of everything that has been a barrier to you, walking fully in what God has called you to do, to serve others. You know, because as we proceed this year, I just really believe there's going to be an opportunity for us to, to welcome new people uh, into this fellowship. And it's going to take each of us who are believers and been on the road for a long time just to know, to share the gospel, to walk with others, to care for them. You don't have to look for the thousands. It's one heart at a time. And I just believe God is going to be calling us to befriend, accompany um, just promote the name of Jesus. We'll be running Alpha. We'll be just seeking for people to come into his kingdom. And each one of us can do that. God has called us to do that. So as we reflect this morning over worship, just let the Holy Spirit remind you again about your, your when you stepped out with him, your commitment the desires he put in your life, what he's called you to do, what he's asked you to do. It's individual to you. But let's each do our part. Let's stand as we sing this song and that will give us the opportunity to come forward.